Good morning. Uh, we are continuing in our series, uh, The Callings, through Ephesians 4. I just want to read Ephesians 4.11 to you. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. As we continue in this calling series, I want to remind us of what we are talking about versus what we are not discussing. Okay, So we are not talking about occupation. That's a place where you can be ministry uh, in ministry assigned and you can make a living and be compensated doing that. Not always, but sometimes. And that's occupation. It's over here on the right. Over here on the left, uh, we often lump what we're discussing in the spiritual gifts conversation, but that's not what we're talking about. So on the left, I want to put all of our spiritual gifts, the list that Paul gave us in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and he broke this portion out, these five, from that list, and he used the word calling. So here we are talking about equipping. The thing that he puts in us by the power of the Spirit when we trust in the name of Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit, we are given gifts to make us effective in our call. So... Occupation, ministry assignment, equipping, spiritual gifts. What we're talking about a calling in Ephesians 4, when he uses that term, he's talking about personal design. Intended design by God, ministry function and, and, and design. Like what he desires for us to do. Last week we got to get started with the apostle. We looked at the ministry function of the apostle. Let me just remind you, the ministry function of the apostle is to rally people to vision. To rally people to vision, more specifically in the New Testament, to rally people to the good news and new life that's found in Jesus. And today, we're going to discuss the prophet, the next one on the list. So uh, to do so, I, I think it's best to illustrate it. I'm going to do the best I can to try to do that. How many of you remember, let's go back. I want to take you back. How many of you were like kids of the 80s, 70s, or before then? Okay, all right. So those kids are who I'm talking to. Okay, everyone else can listen up. Kids today may not relate. Okay, those kids are the ones I'm talking to. How many of you remember having that weekend, not just one night, but that weekend of like sleepovers? Okay, it was just like a barrage of like pizza parties and birthday parties and all that happened like in one weekend. You know what I'm talking about? And you had that weekend where you just went full bore and you never came home. You stayed at your friend's house and you stayed asleep and you ate what you shouldn't. You were up at 2 a.m. eating pizza and garbage. You know what I'm talking about? Like bad for you food. And how many of you also remember like watching late night to the point where like you heard the national anthem come on the TV and then like snow, right? And that was like your cue to go to bed or play video games, right? Okay, so those people are the ones I'm talking to. Remember that point, okay? You had a weekend where you got away with stuff you should have never gotten away with. And on Sunday night, as you went to bed, you kind of go to bed with a little bit of a smirk on your, on your mouth. Maybe a little bit of a grin, maybe a little bit of a smile. You go to sleep that night. And that night, you sleep deep. Why? Because you've slept all weekend. You haven't slept in like two days. So you sleep deep that night. And... As you are in a coma-like induced state of deep slumber. I mean, you just went to bed 10 minutes ago, right? And you soak your pillow in your own drool. <laughs> that, that state where we're at. You hear the flick of a light switch. And you feel the searing burn upon your sleep-crusted eyes of fluorescent glow coming from the ceiling. And you hear the words from your mom or someone else, but likely your mom, 
get up, it's time to go to school. You've been asleep the whole night. Feels like you just went there. Let me ask you this, okay? So that morning, mom flicks on the light. You got to go. How much did you hate her in that moment? How much did you hate that person? Okay? That functionally is your prophet. Okay? They're about as well received as mom in that moment. Throughout history, they're about as well liked. They functionally turn the lights on for us. When we are in the deepest of slumber, when we are, when we are comfortable, deep in the sleep that was found in the darkest of the night, they flick the lights on. Hello? And if you remember, like last week, we even saw in Nehemiah, the apostle who rallied everyone to the building of the wall, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Listen, that was not new information. Those walls have been down for over 140 years. And he himself didn't like go see it and get the information. He was told. He was told and then he rallied people division to see the wall built. That functional telling, like that right there, that's like a prophet. Someone who comes and tells us because they see the problem, they tell us the truth, and then the apostle rallies to vision. Too often these two get misconstrued and they are really functionally different. The apostle was often known as the bearer of good news. The prophet is not. The prophet may be likened to the bearer of bad news because their message was always repent. Their message is always repent. Remember John the Baptist. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Remember in John 1 he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in front of the entire marketplace. Their message was always repent. You're in sin or otherwise suffer the consequences. They turn on the lights. And most of us don't like it. They set and protect vision because their responsibility is to see the problem and to tell the church the truth. They're preachers with ears uniquely turned to Jesus' voice. Now, here's the thing. God speaks to all of us. That's the truth. And when I say they're preachers, I'm not necessarily saying they're all going to be on a stage. That's not necessarily true either. They're the person that God burdens with, a, with a, a problem. Burdens like deep and they cannot do anything till it comes out. The prophet's mouth is uniquely symbolic. They're symbolically significant. If you look at Isaiah in chapter 6, as he recalls his calling, it says that the live coal was taken from the tong, with tongs from the altar of God by the angel and he flew with that over to Isaiah and he what? Touched his mouth with that live coal, purging his sin. What was, what was his confession? Isaiah's confession. If you're in life group, you're going to be discussing this. You should go. It's going to be really important. But his confession was, I'm an idolatrous man who is full of unclean lips who have led the people to idolatry. I did that. It was my fault, is what he said. And the sin of his lips gets purged by live coal, taken with tongs from the altar of God. 
And then in Jeremiah 1, it says in verses 9 and 10 that Jeremiah had the Lord reach out and put his words in his mouth as an enlistment as prophet to the nations. Something deeply significant about the prophet's mouth. Remember in Proverbs 18.22, the tongue has the power of both life and death. James 3 said that it can set the whole thing on fire. That the prophet is intended to set the church ablaze, to turn us on. But when they are unsubmitted, when they are living in their selfish ambitions, the prophet can burn the whole thing down. That the tongue is a fire that scorches the entire body. So, everyone excited? Let's look at an Old Testament prophet in the story of Jonah. If you have your Bible, you can turn it. I'm going to read from Jonah 1 in the NIV. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amity. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a, a, a ship bound for that port. And paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. Number uh, Next point, prophets hear the Lord. See, Jonah saw the problem and he knew God's answer. He knew exactly what God expected of him. Now, like I said before, all children of God hear the Lord. That's why the most important title you can have is child of God. He loves to talk to us. He loves to tell us by his word. He loves to tell us in prayer internally by the power of the spirit that resides in us. He loves to tell us through circumstances. And he loves for us to be able to know by the sharing and the burdening of one another to the church. He loves to speak through his brothers and sisters in the church to us. God loves to speak to his church. But the prophet hears just a little more naturally than others typically. In the Old Testament, they were known as the seers, okay? Because they could see the problem and they were responsible to tell us the truth. They are often gifted with these spiritual gifts, equipped in this way. The gift of prophecy, the gift of discernment, the gift of leadership. They're typically gifted with the gifts of words of knowledge, We'll get to that in a moment. And teaching. They are all there in order to help the prophet be more effective. But I want to say that in in this story we're looking at in Jonah, maybe also in Jeremiah, you get a little bit of a picture of a New Testament prophet, maybe more like John the Baptist in the Old Testament with these guys because they were preachers. If you haven't figured it out yet, you're going to learn it. If, if our entire church, if like everyone in this room right here were a prophet, God help us. That would be a really, really like hard like fellowship to be part of, okay? But if we were all prophets from Isaiah, whose message was about majesty... He had a different assignment and occupation, had a different equipping. He had gifts that made him in his life circumstances and his life experience be the one that gave the the message of 
the majesty of God. He was enlisted as the most hated prophet of the Old Testament. God said, how long can you, I need someone to speak and they're never going to like you. Well, how long till you're dead? Okay. And he willingly says, okay, because he knows, woe is me, my eyes have seen the true king. But this entire time, I've been worshiping another king, paying homage and leading the people to the wrong thing. Forgive me, it was my fault. And so he has this majesty tone. Ezekiel speaks in wondrous imagery. If you've ever read Ezekiel, you know what I'm talking about. Daniel has this unique ability to speak to direct like events and also long-term vision into the future. No one prophet is the same. Just like no one apostle is the same. They all have the same function. They all have the same ministry design. They're all responsible to see the problem and tell the truth. But these other things only inform that call. And they all struggle with the same lie. That same crippling lie. And we'll get to that in a moment. So, um, Jonah. Back to Jonah for a minute. Jonah obviously knows precisely what God wants him to do. He does. He knows precisely what God wants him to do. And he does the exact opposite. Anyone ever done this? Anyone ever done this? You hear from the Lord and you do the exact opposite. Now, you need to understand from Jerusalem, Nineveh is about a 500-mile journey east, northeast if you want to be specific. And then you have Tarshish all the way to the west. As like in their world, in their minds, it is the ends of the earth. It's as far as you can possibly go. And he's going to jump ship in Joppa with a bunch of Gentiles. God has given him a message for the Gentiles. He is the first prophet of Israel called to the Gentile people. But how many of you have ever disobeyed on an impulse? Have you, how many of you have ever just not liked what God had to tell you? So he, instead of going to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria... Within 50 years, this is going to be the most prominent city in all Assyria, full of Assyrians, enemies of Israelites. In fact, uh, Jonah doesn't tell us a ton in the book about the city of Nineveh, but Nahum does. Here's some things you can grab from Nahum in chapter 1. You're going to find that these were a people guilty of evil plots against God himself. They were also exploiting the helpless at all times. They had a tendency in Nahum 2 to be cruel to those in war. This is, this is something that we speculate Jonah has experienced. Even his own family members taken captive and treated cruelly after battles with the Assyrians. They were known for their idolatrous prostitution and witchcraft in daily practice. They were evil. They were wicked. They were not only Gentiles, they were wicked Gentiles and the whole world knew it. And, and Jonah may have been terrified to go and to, to see them and to tell them what God said because he may have been afraid of what they would do. But it's speculated more likely he just didn't want them to have any mercy from God. He knew God's character, he knew his heart, and he didn't feel they deserved it. Because he was afraid that if he said this message, they might repent. 
to liken the struggle that you see Jonah in here, the first prophet of Israel to go to the Gentiles, you have to be able to, it's like calling on a man in New York. God finds a man in New York during the height of World War II and concentration cramps, a Jewish man in New York, and he says, I want you to go and speak to Hitler and the entire Nazi party and tell them to repent and God will be gracious. If not, suffer the consequences. And that man in New York grabs a flight to San Francisco and hops a ship to get to China as fast as he can. Because he doesn't believe that they deserve that. I want to give you a quote from Spurgeon. And this is, I love this. Considering how we have a tendency to trust impulse more than we do the word of the Lord. How many of you have ever descend in impulse? I very commonly meet with persons who say, I felt that I must do so-and-so. It came upon me that I must do so-and-so. Anybody ever else blamed God for your sin? Just me, okay. I am afraid of these impulses very greatly, afraid of them. People may do right under their power, but they will spoil what they do by doing it out of their mere impulse and not because the action was right in and of itself. Jonah knew the heart of God. And whether he was afraid to face the Ninevites or he just felt them undeserving, he had willingly chosen to disobey and run in the complete opposite direction. I'm going to read on in chapter 4. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind upon the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck and when he lay down, he fell into a deep sleep. Stop. I'll read on in a second. Jonah is evading the presence of God and getting on the ship in the first place. When he's above deck and starts to see the hurricane, he evades God's presence again by trying to get as deep into the ship as he possibly can. He is running from God. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Then the sail, I'm sorry. Then the captain went to him and said, "How can you sleep? Get up and call upon your God. Maybe He will take notice of us, so that we will not perish." Then the sailors said to each other, "Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity." They cast lots, and they fell to Jonah. Big surprise. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord of God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? For they knew he was running away from the Lord because they had already told him so. He had already told them so. Sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
The crippling lie of the prophet, while they all have the same function, they all have a lie that's directly tied to that function. It'll keep them from doing what God has called them to do. That lie is it's all my fault, all of it. It's always my, we see it, Jonah say it to them in black and white. It's my fault. All of this, I'm bringing death on you. It's my fault. And it doesn't matter who you look at in the, in the um, prophets of the Old Testament, even the new. You can go to Isaiah and he says, woe is me, I'm undone. I led everyone to idolatry. You look at Jeremiah, he says, I'm too young. He's not saying I'm not good enough. What he's saying is I'm too young. I don't have the skill. I'm going to walk us all off a cliff. Hear Jonah, it's my fault. John the Baptist, hey, in John 1, I said, hey, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But by Matthew 11, when he's on death row, about to be beheaded, and Jesus, his cousin, hasn't come to see him, what's he say? He sends one of his disciples to go ask Jesus, hey, are, are you the one or should we look for another? Like capital O. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Because I already told everyone you are. Did I get that wrong? Was that my fault? Did I lead everyone to follow you? Because you won't even see me come help me out here. It doesn't matter who it is. The prophet's lie is always and will always be. It is all, every bit of it, my fault. And when the enemy can get in their ear and cripple them with that, they don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. They have been given the word of God. They've been given the problem And they have God's answer. They are responsible to walk in it and to give it away. (laughs) Jonah was given the problem. But how hard is it to go to your sworn enemy and tell them God wants to be gracious with you if you'll just stop it? When you believe that they deserve justice. They deserve to be punished. They deserve to struggle as they have forced your own countrymen to struggle. How hard is it to be obedient when God calls you to love your enemy? Which, by the way, he called all of us to love our enemies. Jonah was reluctant to do what God desired. And if you notice... Throughout the story of the prophets, you'll find they're all a little reluctant. They know how to point in the middle of a desert to water, but they don't necessarily know how to make you drink, and they don't even know how to get everyone to pack to get there. But that's their job is to point us, set, and protect vision. And when they walk faithfully, when they walk faithfully, in faithful obedience, they tell others the truth. The church and the lost alike, they lead others to worship. They lead us all to repentance and worship. When they walk faithfully, they lead us to worship. In Jonah 2, you see Jonah, I'm sorry. In Jonah 2, you're going to see him pray a prayer that, that basically is the end of himself. He's saying, I'm not going to fight you any longer. I don't want to fight you. But before he can get inside that fish, and we all know the story about how the fish came, Jonah and the whale, right? Let me ask you, did he have any idea that when he said, throw me over the side and it'll all go away? It's my fault. I've brought this on you. When he said, throw me over the side, did he have in his mind any hope of a fish? Did he have any hope of salvation? No. 
He said, let me die so that they can live. Who does that sound like? Let me sacrificially take it on myself so that they don't have to perish in my sin. When Jesus was challenged by the Pharisees, the religious right, they came to him and said, hey, give us a sign. He goes, a wicked and evil generation demands a sign, but I'll give you one. The sign of who? Jonah. I'll be swallowed by the earth. I'll go into the belly of the earth, into the depths of Sheol, and I'll defeat the grave and all of hell because I will resurrect three days later. The earth will spit me out like the fish spit out Jonah to do what God intended to do. When the prophet of God does what what he's supposed to faithfully, let me read it for you. It leads us all to worship. It says in verse 13, or verse 12, pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They were like, that's crazy. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And he cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Oh Lord, have done as you have pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard into the raging sea that immediately grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord that made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Inside that fish is where he'll, re, he'll pray that faithful prayer that shows he's at the end of himself. He's not going to fight God anymore. Except till chapter 4. And you read chapter 4, you see just how human he is. Anybody else ever had that like, God got my attention. No doubt about it. I'm going to do what I'm called to do and then become human again. Yeah in your fallibility, and your frailty, sin. But here's the truth. What was the response of the sailors? Did you notice? God, please don't hold this against us. Throw him over the side. Everything goes calm and immediately says they make a sacrifice and they turn and praise the God of Jonah, the one true God. Hey, what about the Ninevites in chapter 3? Let me just read it for you. It won't be on the screen. Just listen. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim its message to them that I've given you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. The visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, and put on sackcloth, a personal sign of mourning and repentance. Old Testament. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from the throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, sat down in the dust, then issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles that said, Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink a nationwide fast, but let the man and beast be covered in sackcloth. Let us all mourn and repent. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let him give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with his compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we all will not 
perish. Verse 10, and when God saw that, that what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring upon the destruction that he, in fact, had threatened. Let me ask you, Jonah was of the people of God. Jonah was an Israelite, God's chosen. And God spoke, and he didn't like it. How did he respond? He took off in the opposite direction, trying to flee the presence of the Lord as fast as he could. Anyone ever done this? The Ninevites, the Gentiles, not just Gentiles, wicked Gentiles, do you think they liked the message of God, repent? Stop your evil ways, do you think they liked that? No, but what did they do? Immediately turned, fast, repented, prayed, and God relented. They were obedient immediately as they heard the word of God. It's embarrassing, but I want to ask you internally to answer for yourself. How many of us, his church, his people, his children, he would say of us that our response is more like Jonah's than it is the Ninevites? How many of us, our response is less obedient and more trying to negotiate, talk it out. Maybe I just run completely from your presence versus those who don't know you, who when a prophet walks faithfully, turn and worship the Lord. Don't you think that God burdened the prophet with a deep message that he is responsible to see the problem and tell the truth. Don't you believe that God wants more from his church than simply to hear it and walk away sad? To be to more than just to walk away inspired. Remember, Zacchaeus heard the word of the Lord, did everything, went above and beyond exactly what Jesus said, and it said, Salvation's come to this home. The rich young ruler, the Pharisee, who knew that Jesus was God, said, what must I do? And went away sad, for he had great possessions. He did not like what the Lord said, and he was unwilling to do it. How many of us have a heart that breaks because the church of Jesus is unwilling to do, no matter how difficult what Jesus says to do? I pray that we become more like the Ninevites and are people prone to immediate obedience to do exactly what he says versus trying to ask God to do things the way that we want or just disobey altogether. I said that um, last week, Jesus was all five of these callings in one and he was. I want to show you, I think it's important to look in scripture and look at his ministry to see him walk as a prophet. In Mark 2, he's given a word of knowledge what happens is uh, there are four friends who bring their lame paralytic to Jesus and they know that they have to get into close proximity to Jesus. Otherwise, he, he has no hope. Jesus is his only hope. And it says they punch through the ceiling and they lower him to Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus' response was, behold, their faith is healed. Your sins are forgiven. Now, immediately before anyone voices a word, it says... Verse 6, chapter 2. Now some of the teachers of the law sitting there thought within themselves. Didn't voice it. 
How many of you are thankful that God knows your thoughts even before you say it? This is yes. Okay, all right. So some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking within themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can first give sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit, in his spirit what they thought and what they're thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? That had to be a weird moment. If you're there and you're watching this guy come through the ceiling and he goes, hey, your sins are forgiven you. And no one speaks up. He goes, hey, I don't know why you guys are thinking this. You know what I'm talking about? A word of knowledge comes within his spirit. He's birth, he knows the Holy Spirit makes him know what is going on in the minds of others. And he calls it out immediately. Which is easier to you? To know that God has given me authority, the Son of Man authority over sin to forgive it. That I tell this man to get up and walk or go home or his sins are forgiven him. So he got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. In John 4, Jesus tells the truth. Calling out the sin of the Samaritan woman is at the well. He leads her to repentance and salvation. And then in turn, he unleashes her to walk as she was called because he was willing to tell the truth. Verse 15 says, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to come here to draw water again. Time out. What she's saying is, I came by myself at midday. All the rest of the community of women came early in the morning. I've been put out. I've been ostracized. They don't even receive me anymore. I'm ostracized from my community. This is embarrassing. I don't like making this walk. What does Jesus say immediately to that? Go and call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you're right when you say I have no husband. In fact, you've had five and the man you live with now is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Because you know everything I've ever done. And yet, it's still okay. He sees the problem and he speaks directly to it. He perceives the thoughts of those who are against him even before it's said and he calls it out. This is a prophet. That's what it looks like. This is Jesus as a prophet. Jesus was the prophet. But he said of other prophets who have a prophetic call and not everyone in here has that call. Thank God. Because if we were all an ear... Or a mouth, where would the sense of smelling be? He said, blessed are the prophets. Matthew 5 and 6, I'm going to say it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They see the problem because God makes them aware of it internally and by his word, always affirmed by his word. And they, it's almost like carrying a baby, like labor pains, it's in them and they cannot rest until it comes out. The accountability to tell the truth. Jonah, running in fear from the presence of God, had a word for the Ninevites. He had the truth, repent. But he doesn't want them to have that, so he runs as far as he can and he cannot find rest in his running. He said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
their heart turns violently inside of their chest. Those who have the prophetic call know the truth because they see the problem. And they have an accountability to let us know what the truth is. Paul wrote of, uh, wrote of the prophets in Romans 10. He said, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they, without someone preaching to them, how can they pr- know unless the one, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, those who tell the truth. And there's a shift in the New Testament. Because in the Old Testament, you see repent, and God won't wipe you out. In the New Testament, repent and turn to the men. Turn to the one who died for you so you don't have to die. Turn to a person. The answer of God is given immediately in that message of repentance for the New Testament prophet. They have someone not just, to, not just turn from your sin, turn to Jesus. They turn the lights on for us. This morning as we wrap up, the point needs to be made this. From the prophet Jeremiah chapter 1, it says this, verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet unto the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, do not know, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. I'm going to walk us off a cliff. I'm green. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you and I will rescue, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See today that I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Why? Because we're turning everyone's heart back to me. It's not about the prophet. So any prophet that you meet that goes, I did this, they're either swarmed in a lie or they may be lying altogether. Because the one thing that they struggle with reluctantly is it's all my fault. I know I have to give this truth. It is so deep within me. I know I have to turn the lights on, but nobody likes that person and I don't want to be unliked. Who here wants to be unliked? But we all have to have that person like mom who comes in, flicks the light on and said, you've got to get up and go to school because without someone doing that, we all go awry and we get in trouble. That person, remember, Nehemiah didn't even have the message originate with him. But once he had it, he could rally people to it. We need someone who can tell us truth. Not everyone in here has a prophetic call. Thank God. But some do. And we are intentionally made by God to play a role in his kingdom. And we must listen to the truth versus the lies that seek to cripple us from doing so. And accept it. Truth is, the most important name that you can take or title you can walk out of here is with is child of God. That is most important. But for those of you who have started to recognize that God has prophetically called me because I know that's me. I know he speaks. I know I struggle with it. I always feel at fault. Unless you speak up, unless you walk as God has accountably called you to, the church suffers. We're all forced to do extra work. How many of you are thankful that God speaks to his children? 
He speaks to all of us. How many are thankful? But how many of you have also had that one person when you were swarming in sin, crippled in the lies of the enemy trying to keep you down? Raise your hand if I, you know what I'm talking about. We're thankful that you had somebody come. It could have been on a platform. It could have been one-on-one. But you heard them and you go, he's speaking directly to me. Ever had that? That message was for me. You know what I'm talking about? Your prophet. This morning, let's thank God for loving us, for sending Jesus, for making us, intending us, calling us according to his own purpose that we might, that we might go out into the world and live as he intended us to. And our thanksgiving is, is evident by the way we respond to him right now. Some of you, that happened already this morning. God is speaking directly to you. That message is evident. It's your heart. You're burdened with it. And you have a choice. You can either respond like Jonah and run out of here as fast as you possibly can, evading God's presence, but he will pursue you. He will find you. The psalmist said, where can I go from your presence? I make my bed in the heavens, yet you are there. I make my bed in Sheol, yet you are there. I cannot run from you. Some of you have heard God speak and you need to be like the Ninevites. God, forgive me, here I am. Whatever you desire, whatever you want, I'll do it. And this morning, we have prayer partners on the side that want to pray over you as you do that. There's an altar here that is open and you should come with someone else. There is a table where we can thank God for dying so that we could live just like Jonah sacrificed himself. We have life because Jesus took on our sin to forgive it, to wipe it clean, that we might walk as God has called us. Maybe you have a prayer request. Maybe there's something deep within you that you're praying for someone. Put it on the cross. Let us join you, your community, in prayer. But let's do this. Let's minister to one another by responding obediently right now. Let us not be a place that does this to God right now. Let's respond in thanksgiving and not in running.